You're listening to Comedy Central. I saw. I went. I went to South Africa this weekend. It was a really fun trip. Went to see family. Went to see friends and everybody. And so on, <laughs> this is so cool because I'm in South Africa, and I'll obviously meet people who know me. They've known me like for many years, either from my life or from like comedy or whatever. And so I go to get my COVID test to fly back to the U.S. And one of the guys who's there, like taking the payment, he's like, he's like, hey, Trevor. He's like, oh man, I'm a big fan of yours, bro. I'm like, oh, thank you, dude, thank you very much. He's like, yeah, man, you make us so proud in South Africa. We love what you do. Then I was like, thank you very much, thank you. He's like, ah, but Trevor, I've got one question, my man. So I'm like, what's, what's the question? He's like, ah, Trevor, why do you change your accent when you're in America, my man? Now, mind you, he's just changed his accent while he's saying this to me, <laughs> right? So I go like, what do you mean? So he's like, ah, oh, Trevor. Ah, my man, when you're talking there in America, you, like everything you say, it sounds so like, you know, it's almost American. And I'm like, no, that's, that's how I talk. He's like, yeah, I know, but why don't you like make it more African, you know? So I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like I, I saw you in coming to America. Then I was like, that accent, that's the one you should do. So I'm like, so you want me to go on the Daily Show and be like, hello everybody, my name is Trevor Noah. Welcome to the Daily Show. And he's like, yeah, exactly, you can do it. <laughs> then I was like, but that's not my actual accent. He's like, that's not the point. The point is, Trevor, they must know there's accents out there. When you're doing the Daily Show, they must be like, wow, oh man, this accent, it's out there, it's doing things. <laughs> I was like, you're gonna get me canceled in America. He's like, oh, they can't cancel you, but we must tell them to come to me. And I was like, they don't know you. He's like, yeah, you must introduce me. <laughs> like, like, literally this guy was like, but he changed his accent to tell me the story. Like, cause in South Africa, everyone, you know what I mean? People code switch all the time. You talk to your grandmother differently. You talk, but now the guy's like, now imagine, part of me wanted to do it, to be honest with you. Cause I mean, I don't know what people would say if I just came here and then I was just like, welcome to the Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's catch up on today's headlines in the Congress. And then people would be like, what is he doing? And then they'd cancel me. They'd be like, you can't talk like that. Then I'd be like, actually the other accent was fake. Now I cancel you. <laughs> Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, truckers invade Canada. Joe Rogan has a point. And Representative Barbara Lee. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the 45th president of the United States, Donald Jiminy Trump. Trump is basically the ex that America kicked out for throwing an open house party at the Capitol. And like many exes, he rarely wants a second chance. But instead of promising to do better next time, he's threatening to do even worse. Former President Trump returned to the campaign trail, so to speak, in Texas last night. And during this rally, Trump said he would consider pardoning those prosecuted for attacking the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. Trump also urged his supporters to hold massive protests in cities like New York, Atlanta, and Washington, D.C. if prosecutors investigating him in those cities bring charges against him. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had. In reality, they're not after me, they're after you. And I just happen to be the person that's in the way. 
Yo. Oh, man. Donald Trump is the greatest con man of all time. Did you hear everything this guy said? Everything he said. I mean, part of it was like the racist person. Who are they racist to? Who is racist in this thing to Donald Trump? Huh? And, and if you think about it, like, it's really smart what he's saying because he could have pardoned all of his people when January 6th happened. You realize that, right? He was the president, but he didn't pardon them. He let them get prosecuted, and now they're all going to jail. He let this happen. But now that his ass is on the line, now he's like, man, if I was president, if I was president, I'd have never let this happen to you. But you did. It's like some dirtbag being like, let me tell you something. If you were my girl, but I'm your wife. Yeah, but if you were my girl, this shit wouldn't have happened, baby. You gotta admit, Trump leans on his supporters really hard. I mean, first, they had to storm the Capitol because he lost the election. Then their donations went to his legal fees because he's always getting sued. Now they have to protest if he gets charged? Like, where does it end? If Trump does go to prison, is he gonna make these poor people smuggle cigarettes up their butts? They're worth more unopened, so make sure you get the whole carton up in there and don't clench, it'll squish the filters. Anyway, moving on from uh, Donald Trump to posh Donald Trump, Boris Johnson. The British prime minister and guy who starts every morning sticking a fork in an electrical outlet has been in quite a spot of bother lately, which means it's time for another installment of Keep Calm and Party On. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson just apologized to Parliament after a damning independent report was released this morning, which condemns, quote, failures of leadership and judgment by Johnson's office over those parties at 10 Downing Street held during COVID lockdowns. The government being scolded like children. The report says there were serious failures to observe the high standards. It says that excessive alcohol shouldn't be drunk at the workplace. It repeatedly describes a culture of drinking and partying. Boris Johnson was back in Parliament to try to justify the unjustifiable. Mr. Speaker, I get it and I will fix it. And I want to say... And I want to say to the people of this country, I know what the issue is. Yes, Mr. Speaker, yes, yes. It's whether this government can be trusted to deliver. And I say, Mr. Speaker, yes, we can be trusted. Yes, we can be trusted to deliver. Love how he's like, I identify the problem. I know what the, yeah, you made the problem. Of course you know what the problem is. Well, I, guys, I've solved it because I did it. But yes, according to this investigation, Boris Johnson's office had a culture of drinking and partying throughout the pandemic. And I'll be honest, I'd be more convinced that Boris could fix it if he didn't always look like an upside down guy doing a keg stand. I've got to say my, my, my favorite part about this whole scandal is actually how high school it is to get caught having a party. I mean, think about it. That's the level of scandal. Other world leaders are staging coups and invading other countries. Meanwhile, Boris is filling vodka bottles up with water like, hurry, hurry, the queen will be home soon. <laughs> All right, but let's move on to our top story, which takes place in Canada, the friendliest country in the world, if you don't count the French parts. Today, the news broke that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has tested positive for COVID. And this is just another reminder of how contagious this virus is. Even if you're vaxxed, boosted, and in disguise half of the time, COVID will still find you. Now, because he's vaccinated, Trudeau is handling the virus 
just fine. And that's good news for him because it turns out he's got a much bigger problem to worry about. Right now, a group of Canadian truck drivers calling themselves the Freedom Convoy, tying up the streets of Ottawa. Thousands flooded the streets over the weekend. The truckers are using their rigs to block streets and even the entrance to Parliament. The demonstrations were initially aimed at pushback against vaccine mandates for truck drivers crossing the U.S.-Canada border. But the movement escalated into an expression of disapproval with the Canadian government's COVID-19 policies. This convoy is all about freedom. It's not only with the truck drivers, it's actually for every single person, you, me, buddy down the road, it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about your free choice. You can't lock up healthy people and expect them to remain healthy, okay? So the children have not been in school. I personally believe that is wrong. Um, they sh we need to drop the masks, drop the mandates, and start living our lives again. Yeah. What this woman is saying is Probably poignant? I can't tell. I can barely hear anything over the honking. Watching this made me feel bad for anyone who's actually stuck in that traffic all day because you realize if you were stuck in that traffic, your honk sounds exactly as the protest honk. You can't separate the two. He's like, pop, 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 pop. Hey, I'm late for work. That's right, brother. Down with the vaccines. But yeah, thousands of these truckers have ground Canada's capital city to a halt. And I'm all for vaccines, but I do get why the truckers wouldn't think that they need them. I mean, think about it. They spend all day, every day, alone in their trucks. The only person they would give COVID to are the hitchhikers that they'll murder or get murdered by. Either way, COVID isn't their biggest problem is what I'm saying. Now, what I don't understand is why truckers are opposed to masks. I don't get that. I mean, masks are just mud flaps for your face. You just put a sexy lady silhouette on it and you feel right at home. And these COVID protests in Canada are nothing new, by the way, right? Actually, they're not new anywhere in the world. Like, you can walk around outside basically any day and you will see people yelling about how they're not allowed to go outside to do exactly what they're doing. But if you live in Ottawa, well, it turns out you might be seeing this particular protest for a really, really long time. The uh, people who have organized this say that they will stay out there months if needed. They have raised well over $6 million US to their fund on the GoFundMe page. The truckers say they're prepared to stay for months as long as they have fuel. You're prepared to stay for a month? Yeah. I got a month's worth of food in there. These are people who have arrived, you know, since Friday in through the rest of this Saturday uh, and plan to stay here, many of them say, um, until their demands are met. Damn, you can really feel these truckers' passion. I mean, you can't hear it because they're honking over everything, but still, you heard them, you know? They say that they're gonna be there for as long as it takes. And I, I believe them. Yeah, nobody's more prepared for a months-long protest than a trucker. I mean, think about it. They have all of our stuff in the back of their trucks. Next month, you're gonna see one of them giving an interview wearing the Snuggie that you ordered for Christmas. And it's not just having the supplies, by the way. Truckers make very effective protesters. Like, they can make a lot of noise. They're used to being away from home. And police are afraid to confront them because any one of those trucks could just turn into a transformer. That shit is too risky. Of course, street protests in general are a healthy part of any democracy. You know, like putting up campaign posters or drawing dicks on campaign posters. But things got a little out of hand in Ottawa when some of the freedom protesters decided they wanted a little more freedom than most people were comfortable with. 
While much of the protest was peaceful this morning, police are investigating some incidents involving the desecration of national monuments, including Canada's Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Last night, another protester was seen climbing onto the monument. This morning, it was marked with urine stains. The swastika flag seen at protests denounced by two Conservative MPs who had openly supported the convoy. At this shelter in Ottawa, staff say protesters showed up last night demanding food meant for the homeless. One member was assaulted and a security guard was called a racial slur. Wow. Nazi flags, peeing on war memorials, shouting racial slurs in homeless shelters. Honestly, it's kind of refreshing to see Canadians break this stereotype. Although maybe they did all of this in like a very polite way. Go back to where you came from, eh? I'll give you a ride if you want. I do kind of feel bad for the vast majority of the protesters who aren't Nazis, though, because, like, I mean, people, let's admit it, once a Nazi flag shows up at a rally, the whole thing has just turned into a Nazi rally. You know, it's like when you put the cantaloupe in a fruit salad. It doesn't matter what other fruits are in there, it all tastes like cantaloupe now. Cantaloupe is the, the Hitler of fruit, is what I'm saying. Well, for more on this saga, let's go now to Desi Lydic, who is live at the protest. Desi, what's the latest on this trucker protest? Trevor, if one thing's clear... Uh, Desi, sorry, can you, can you say that all again, please? The, the horns were drowning you out. We couldn't hear anything. Guys, could you please stop honking? I'm trying to... ...like the penis of a starfish. Sorry, Desi, the, the horn honking was too loud, except for the starfish penis, which actually, you know what, <laughs> doesn't really matter. Actually, could you just tell us what's happening right now in Canada? Where's this going? Yeah, you know what, l l let me try Morse code. Uh, Morse code? Yeah, because we're <laughs> both ship captains in the 19th century. Okay, uh, what, are you gonna honk out your message? Mm -hmm. Uh, oh Jesus, I haven't done this in so long. All right, if one thing is clear, it's that the horns are too loud. I mean, I knew that you didn't have to morse co You know what, Desi, this was a huge waste of time. Thank you so much. Oh no, thank you so much for sending me up to freezing cold Canada, you asshole. Oh, now you stop honking. Well, that was awkward. All right, when we come back, we'll be talking about the fallout with Joe Rogan and Spotify. You don't want to miss it. Are they honking for me now? Are they here? Still have my job, right? Right? Oh yeah, your job doesn't go anywhere, Dizzy. You're cutting out, I can't hear you. Your job doesn't go anywhere. I don't, I think I, I think I heard you say that I still have my job. Yes, yes. So, Joe Rogan, I mean, you all know the story, and if you don't know it, I envy the world that you live in where news just doesn't come to you. Um, Joe Rogan had to respond finally to the whole Spotify um, Neil Young thing. Cause I'm sure you remember, Neil Young came out, right? And he was like, I'm sick of Joe Rogan spreading all of this misinformation about vaccines. If Spotify is gonna let him like um, say all of this trash on the app, then I want them to take my music off. So then Spotify was like, all right, well, we'll take your music off, you're Neil Young. And this is Joe Rogan, we've paid him millions of dollars. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I get it, because Spotify was never gonna quit Joe Rogan. You give a guy $100 million, you're gonna keep the guy that you gave $100 million to, because you've spent the money. It's the same reason I still drink tummy tea. I bought it in bulk. All it does is make me shit, but I spent my money. I don't approve of it, but that's life. 
And a lot of people said Neil Young was an idiot for going up against Spotify. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't think this was gonna do anything. Like even me as Trevor, I was like, whew, Neil Young, thank you for laying your life down and things are just gonna carry on. But it turns out one person can start a movement because over the weekend, um, Joni Mitchell said, Spotify, take off my music as well. And then people were like, oh shit, we know Joni Mitchell. And then Brene Brown came out and she was like, my podcast, I'm not putting any more episodes up. And that's huge because Brene Brown is like Oprah's therapist. And I mean, think about it. That's huge because Oprah is our therapist. And then on top of that, Harry and Meghan came out and they were like, we have concerns. And that seems calm, but for British people, we have concerns basically means, oh, hell no. So things got big over the weekend. And then on Sunday night, Joe Rogan comes out and he issues his own apology, right? This is how big this thing got. And so like, after you watch that apology, there's, there's, there's a couple of things that, that I wanted to say about it. Um, number one, in my opinion, I actually thought it was a pretty classy apology from Joe Rogan, you know? For him to say, I can do better. Um, I'm not trying to spread misinformation. Uh, you know, I will try and do a better job at this. I actually thought it was pretty classy. And I know some people are gonna say, yeah, the only reason he's saying sorry is because his bosses are making him say sorry. Yeah, but bosses or not, guys, let's be honest. In this society we live in these days, who says, I'm sorry, and I made a mistake, and I don't have all the answers, I'm just trying to do, but people don't say that anymore. Nobody admits to making mistakes anymore. You know, I was half expecting Joe Rogan to come and be like, uh, guys, my podcast was hacked, that wasn't me. But instead he owned up to it. I thought it was pretty dope, it was refreshing, you know? Secondly, I also liked that he said, I'm still a Neil Young fan, even though Neil Young was against his views in, in those podcasts, you know what I mean? I think that was nice. It's nice to live in a world where we can say, I don't agree with you, but I still like you because that used to be a thing that we could do as people. You know, now we've just turned into a group of people who are like, I hate you, I hate you because you said the thing opposite to me. I don't, get, get away, I disagree with you. Fuck you, mom. Now you don't talk to your mom anymore, you know? Like, I like that he said that. I, I like a lot of people who I don't agree with on everything. Like, I don't believe that Uptown Funk is gonna give it to me, <laughs> but I still love Bruno Mars. We agree to disagree. This is society. Right? And, and, and also, I, I think, this is, this is like a really complicated point to make maybe, is, th is this. Joe Rogan says that he brings on people who he doesn't agree with all the time, but people are pulling a handful of episodes out and they're angry about those episodes. They're saying he spreads misinformation. Now, here's where I'm not trying to defend Joe Rogan and somebody's maybe gonna do it to me. They're gonna take a part out and go, Trevor defends Joe Rogan, Trevor Slay, whatever it is, I don't, I myself am saying this. I understand the nuance of this point. Joe Rogan makes a shit ton of podcasts and in those podcasts, there were like maybe two podcasts or so where people were like, we don't like what you, what you said there. But he's not wrong in saying that he sometimes brings people on who say the opposite point to that. And the reason we know that that's true is because we've all seen that clip of Joe Rogan's where he's on his show being corrected by somebody on his show. So he's not lying when he says he brings people on to correct him. And the, we saw the correction in live, like, you know what I mean? It happened in real time on his show. So I'd go, yes, he does bring that stuff on. But because of the internet age we live in, we shit on people based on the little that we see of them. We don't give them the full context. People are like, I'm not gonna listen to hours and hours of Joe Rogan. I'm just gonna get angry about this and move on with my life. So in his defense, I get that part of what he's saying, right? I get it. But everything in life needs context. Like if you cut out one part, then sometimes you can lose it. You know, cause you can watch a movie and they just cut out a clip and you'd be like, oh, is this a movie about some guy hooking up with his sister? Then you're like, no, this is Star Wars. There's a lot more shit. <laughs> the context is very important is what I'm saying, right? 
Joe Rogan does. He talks about MMA. He has authors on, uh, really cool authors sometimes. You know, he talks to real doctors who disagree with him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He does, he does that in Joe Rogan's defense. Can't believe I'm saying that now. But now, you know, I also want to live in a reasonable world. In Joe Rogan's defense, he does bring other people on. Now, here, here's the issue that I have with the clip, though. Joe Rogan then goes on to say, I'm not trying to spread misinformation, but let's be honest, a lot of the things that we're saying now, you would be banned for saying a long time ago, right? And he says, like, remember, a lot of the things that we said months ago, like, they, they, they weren't considered true, but now they're true. And, and, and I've noticed this trend starting to happen where people are using what I like to call, like, broken clock techniques, where they're going like, oh, it wasn't four o'clock earlier, but it's four o'clock now. Yeah, you were wrong then. At some point, it will be four o'clock. It doesn't mean that now you were right all along. You can't just wait at the time. What's the time? Four o'clock, no. What's the time? Four o'clock, no. What's the time? Four o'clock, no. What's the time? Four o'clock, yes. Ha ha, I told you. I was right all along. No. At some point, you may be right. Because here's the thing. I'm not saying Joe Rogan himself, but I know Joe Rogan has not been a COVID vaccine fan. Joe Rogan and a lot of people like him were like, the vaccines are bullshit. They're useless, right? And now they're saying, look, huh? we were right. We were right. No, Omicron gets through the vaccine. Vaccines will still save your mother life. Have you seen the, the numbers, the rates of people dying, the rates of people getting sick? If you don't have it, it's like 7.8 out of 100,000 people can die. And then when you take the vaccine, it's like nothing. And then when you go down with the booster, it's like even less than nothing. Do you get what I'm saying? Omicron changed that. You can't say that like I was right all along when I became right. No, you were wrong all along. And then now things changed and now you're not as wrong as you were. That's the first point for me. You know? So the second thing he says as well, he's like, oh, if you said uh, cloth masks were, were useless back then, you, you would be banned. You, you, weren't, you weren't banned for saying that. For months, there's been research on the types of masks. That's another issue I have. People are taking the words and then they're just cutting a few words out and be like, you see, I'm right. Masks are useless. No, cloth masks are basically useless. Cloth masks, right? Masks still work but now people are using cloth masks to negate all the other shit. You see, all masks, no, my friend, what we've realized is knitted condoms don't work. (laughs) Condoms still work. You can't be like, I told you condoms don't work. No, 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 knitted condoms. Let's be specific about which ones we're talking about. Again, in Joe Rogan's defense, I can't believe I've said this sentence so many times. The, The thing about COVID coming from a lab that could get your post removed from social media. Again, it didn't get you banned, but that is a thing where people are like, oh, is this is a theory. And for a long time, because of racism towards Asian people, people were really sensitive about that because they were just like, ah, you Chinese people came with this from your house. That's how people were saying it. Joe Rogan's like, no, I wasn't saying it like that. It's a it's misinformation. I, I understand that part. You know what I mean? But, but people mustn't make it like, oh no, we were right all along. This shit has proved everybody wrong in every different way, you know? It's proved so many people wrong. I'm not saying Joe Rogan's trying to spread misinformation. And he is right. It is just a conversation. But conversations change with context. Do you know what I mean? You can say, anyone, you can say the election was stolen. Ain't no thing about a chicken wing. But when you're the president of the United States and you say the election was stolen, the context changes. You can't be like, I was just having a conversation. You know, just me and my people shooting the shit. It changes a lot. And I think Joe Rogan acknowledges that. He goes like, yo, I have millions of people listening to me, so now I have to be responsible because now I have a boss called Spotify and now you guys are listening to me. It's the gift and the curse. You can say whatever you want when nobody's listening. And then when everyone's listening, now you have to be responsible. I mean, it's the same rules as like a penis. When no one's around, do whatever you want. 
when there's people, oh, all responsibility in the world. <laughs> now there's going to be a headline. Trevor Noah defends Joe Rogan. That's all they're going to cut out. Or Trevor Noah slams Joe Rogan. Now it's like I don't, there's no, you know what I mean? So welcome to the internet. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is Barbara Lee, the highest ranking African-American woman in Congress. She's here to talk about current challenges facing Congress and the documentary about speaking truth to power throughout her career. Representative Barbara Lee, welcome to The Daily Show. Happy to be with you. It's an honor, Trevor, really. No, I think the honor is mine because... You know, I, I've known a little bit about you over the years, but um, you have a documentary that has just come out about your life. And there are honestly few people who have acted in movies that have a story as amazing as yours is in real life. You know, you, you grew up in a world where you, you lived in a segregated community. Your mother almost died giving birth to you because she was a black woman and people wouldn't help her in the hospitals. You know, you, you went through domestic abuse as a wife who had to escape a husband where the law wouldn't protect you. You have lived such a journey. And to see you here now as a congressperson who's been serving for over two decades, uh, you know, with constituents who love her, is, is quite the journey. When you watched this movie, did, were you also shocked at the life that you've lived? Because I know sometimes people forget. Trevor, first of all, I... Yes, I was, and it was very uh, humbling for me. And I, I just have to take a moment and give credit to uh, Abby Ginsburg, who actually tracked me down and forced me to do this film because I was an unwilling subject. <laughs> and she uh, took it took twice as long to do the film because of me, uh, because this is my life. And, you know, I believe that so much of what uh, I have been through uh, really has been reflective of what so many others have gone through in this country, especially young African-American women, mm -hmm, women and, mm -hmm. and black people in general. It's not for myself that I've done what I have done and tried to break down barriers and, you know, move forward. But right. it's for others because, you know, everyone deserves the quality of life that this country provides for everyone else. And right. black lives do matter. And hopefully uh, young people especially will see the lessons in, in my life. I think many, many young people have, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's apt that you mentioned Black Lives Matter because your name cannot be separated from the struggle in the United States. You know, you're not just fighting for people's freedoms, but also fighting an unpopular fight. I mean, you were working with the Black Panthers for, you know, a long period where many people labeled them as terrorists. Only today, people are starting to realize that, man, whoa, the, the US government really did a number on people with this organization, but you were working in, in many unpopular positions fighting for the liberation of poor people in particular. And, and when you got to Congress, there were many people who said, whatever you do, do not say the word poverty. Please don't bring poverty into politics. And you did just the opposite. Tell me why. Well, Trevor, I had, had to do that because first of all, uh, yes, I was a community worker with the Black Panther Party and the Black Panther Party had a 10 point program. That program was about feeding hungry children, right? About medical care that was inaccessible to low-income people, black people, people of color. It was about providing shoes, which we did, clothing. It was really about providing for the basics in terms of just survival so that we could move forward to change the conditions that give rise to all of these very uh, unbelievable injustices in the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world. So yeah. Uh, when I came to Congress, I mean, it's like I come as Barbara Lee. My experiences, experiences matter. 
And so I had to fight like you would not believe to get Democrats to, yes, continue to talk about fighting for the middle class. But what about low wealth people? What about low income people? What mm-hmm. about poor people? What mm-hmm. about working people? who worked two jobs and still live below the poverty line. So that was an uphill battle, but everything is, Trevor, you know? And so we finally broke through, and now I chair the uh, task force on poverty and opportunity, and we have close to 100 members on that task force, and every issue, especially now with the Biden administration, uh, intersects with race and income inequality. And so we're trying to really look at legislation and funding priorities in the context of what will lift people out of poverty right. so that they can go out and live their lives and take care of their families. Um, some people may remember your name or even your face from maybe one of the scariest fights I think that you've ever um, taken upon yourself. And that is fighting against George Bush going into Iraq. In fact, you were the only dissenting voice at a time when every American, almost every American said, let's go in and let's bomb people. You said, this is not the right thing. You got death threats. You were vilified across the board. I guess my question, my question has two parts to it is um, number one, mm-hmm. when you were doing that, did you not think to yourself, this could be the worst mistake I'm making? Because although I know I'm right, I know that the cost that I will pay may be too great. And the second part of it is looking at the crisis happening right now at the Ukrainian border, are you now in another position where you're saying to your colleagues, hey, let's breathe and think about the ultimate cost of war before we act? Uh, Trevor, let me just first say, um, I come from a military family. My dad retired a lieutenant colonel in the army. He served in the uh, segregated 92nd Infantry in Italy supporting the Normandy invasion. I know what war is about. My dad was the first person who called me, and this was the vote right after the horrific, terrible events of 9-11, where the country was angry and mourning and had wanted us to do something. But when the authorization came three days, mind you, after these terrible events, 60 words, it was a blank check. And all it said basically was any president can go to war anytime he or she wants to. Hmm took away Congress's responsibility under Article 2, where Congress is supposed to be the final decision maker on going to war. We gave it to any president. That was 21 years ago now, right? That was outrageous. My dad was the first person who called me after that vote. And he said, that was the right vote. He said, do not send our troops in harm's way. Do not do any action right now. Three days, 9-14, that's when it was, September 14. Give it a little bit of time. Be rational. Think through the implications of what you're about to do. So yeah, it it was a rough time, death threats. I mean, it it was a horrible time, but I had to be ready for that because you know, we're elected Trevor to lead. And so fast forward to today. First of all, uh, I really believe, and I've been to Ukraine uh, in 2019 and I understand Russian aggression and what's taking place there very clearly. And I believe very clearly that uh, Ukraine is a sovereign country and it has the right to determine its allies and its alliances. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Biden administration is doing the right thing by by exercising a strong diplomatic initiative. But we can't mess that up. We've got to allow diplomacy to work. We cannot, and, and I'm concerned about um, sending troops and hard military hardware because uh, even though the president has said We're not going to enter into combat operation. I believe him. Uh, I know he does not want to do that. He supports my repeal of the authorization of the the use of force. So I know this president really wants a diplomatic solution. What I'm concerned about is a miscalculation 
errors can occur. Our troops could be there and something could happen, and then they would have to take the offense or defense. Right, and then they roped in, yeah. We talk about sanctions. We talk about uh, what would bring Putin to the table uh, and get him to back off of his aggression. Uh, I'm not sure if if sanctions are going to help or hurt him because he wants to do what he wants to do. And will it aggravate and include um, efforts in his mind to escalate even further? So we have to calibrate this very carefully. Mm. I really hope that uh, we let diplomacy work and not do anything that's going to exacerbate or escalate what is taking place now. Because Putin, we know what he wants to do in Europe and in Eastern Europe, especially, and, and with Ukraine. And it's very dangerous. So we've got to do everything to uh, continue on the path of diplomacy. Well, Representative Barbara Lee, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, thank you for finally allowing them to tell an amazing story of the life that you've lived. Well, thank you, Trevor. Thank Abby Ginsburg. She made me do it. <laughs> I will do. Thank you so much. Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power premieres on Stars February 1st. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please consider supporting the Loveland Foundation. They're an organization dedicated to providing therapy services to underserved communities, especially black women and girls. If you want to support them in their work, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, my parliament isn't home on Friday. So party at my place! Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 